It's good. Well, I want to transition from a time of getting to know Anina and uh, with a brief time of prayer and reflection this morning, I, I want to share just a few thoughts from Scripture. And following that, I want to read you a prayer a couple times, actually, and then I want to give you an opportunity to respond, an opportunity for you to reflect and, and ask how God might be speaking to you this morning. So just to, I, I'm expecting that God is going to speak to you this morning, and it's not because I've got a great sermon prepared, but it's because our God loves to speak to us. And the passage I want to briefly look at is found in John chapter 4, uh, verse 28. It's just one verse. It's kind of an odd verse to kind of lift from context. You'll, you'll see where I'm going as I go along. But the verse simply reads, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people. And, and some of you would be familiar with the, the larger story where that verse is excerpted from. And, and if you have your Bibles, you might want to follow along. Or if you have your device, you can turn to John chapter 4. It's a, it's a, it's a great interaction, but it's essentially a description of this, this very cool encounter between Jesus and, and this Samaritan woman at the well, Jacob's well, a, histor- a well of historical importance to the people of Israel. And this would have been a really a mind-blowing set of circumstances for anyone in the first century who would be looking on and seeing this encounter take place. I mean, here you have a, a Samaritan a people group who we know were, were despised by the Jews. They were looked down upon. And, and then she was a woman. And we know from those that day that, that women were a second-class citizen, as they have been in our day up until fairly recently. And Jesus was a Jewish teacher, <laughs> uh, supposed to be opposed to the Samaritans, and he was a man. And so this was a mix that you just would not see. Uh, I find again and again as we seek to follow Jesus, as we uh, track with who Jesus is and, and, and how he behaves, is that Jesus was always breaking down walls. He was always breaking barriers, doing things that maybe socially weren't okay, but that, uh, that actually changed the equation in somebody's life. And he does this here. And by the way, Jesus loves doing this in our lives as well. <laughs> you know, when, when we come to interact with a person who we normally would not interact with, maybe whose habits or lifestyle or dress or their beliefs or, or their religion might offend us or turn us off or, or even cause us to be afraid, when we treat them as human beings, as, as individuals loved by God, made in God's image, you know, offering a smile or a word or a kind deed or, or even our friendship, we're being like Jesus. Jesus was awesome at looking past obstacles in order to love someone. We're most like him when we do that too. I, I saw a great example of this when we were visiting a friend. We, we had a serendipitous encounter with, with one of Angel's best friends from back in the day. And we stopped at her coffee shop in Beamsville, Ontario. And she opened up this coffee shop a few years ago. And uh, she's still not making a profit at all. She's not barely breaking even because she's, she's renovated the basement of the coffee shop into this amazing youth room. And it's become an outreach center for the community. And, and her coffee shop is the nicest restaurant of, of any kind in Beamsville, in my mind. And it's, the, the restaurant itself is transforming the downtown core, making the downtown attractive. Businesses have started opening up and, and so on. But in the basement is this youth center. And out of, she actually just as part of her staffing for her restaurant, why she's not breaking even is she's paying outreach workers 
to reach street youth in her community. And, and, and our friend, she's, she's like, oh, I'm not breaking even, but look at all this good stuff that's, that's happening. And she says, I, I used to be scared of street youth. I used to walk past groups of kids and, and shuffle past quickly or, or move to the other side of the street. And she says, now I'm, I'm walking up to them and, and, and I, I've learned that, that they're just people too. And, and what a great story of somebody behaving like Jesus. And a wall comes down. It's not the main point of my sermon today, but I think it's a good point that we would all do well to pay attention to. Story gives us a couple other telling facts about this woman. We, we know she's running from something. Um, in verse 6, we're told it was noon, high noon, and the hot sun was, was bearing down. And, and that was not when water carriers went to the well to catch water, to, to draw water. They would come at early in the morning. That's when you needed water first thing. And so you'd go to the, the well first thing, and you'd go when it was cool. Not a hot climate like they were in, they, you wouldn't carry water at noon. But here she's there, and I think she did, because everywhere she went, she carried something more than just her water jar. She carried her shame, her pain, her hurt. Uh, in verse 18, Jesus likely put his I think, delicate finger on the source of her shame. Her, her five husbands, a series of, of broken relationships, a series of, of painful relationships. And, and I think she came to the well at noon because she's been alienated by, by the people in town and, and she's avoiding them, avoiding their comments or avoiding having to look them in the eye. Maybe their scorn. And even if you, you read her conversation with Jesus, is, it reads like a series of evasions on her part. This is a kind of a woman who's in hiding. John 4 gives us some of the fascinating dialogue between Jesus and this woman, which is at the center about kind of two things. Uh, Jesus, he, he was there because he needed a physical drink. He needed a drink of water. He was thirsty. But there was the need of this woman to satisfy her own deep inner thirst. And, and Jesus looked at her, and even though she couldn't see it, he could see her great worth, and he could sense and, and, and discern her great longing to have her inner emptiness and her, her painful shame replaced with wholeness and, and freedom and joy. Jesus uh, sets aside his own need for water. He doesn't even take a drink. And he, he makes this amazing statement to her in verse 13. He says, it says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, the water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, or, indeed he says, the, the water that I give them will, will become in them a well, well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman says, sir... Give me that water. And, and by the end of this encounter with Jesus, this alienated, shame-filled woman finds the courage to leave her water jar there empty. And she goes back and says to the people and says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? I think so. <laughs> she came to the, the well to get her fill of water and, and instead she went away with something I'd say far better. Let's change gears here for a moment. I want to ask you uh, an important question. How many of you are cat people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Wow, okay, some of you are cat people. You probably like watch cat vi videos on YouTube often and post them on Facebook. Please stop that, I've seen enough. I don't wanna see another cat in my life. Please, I'm not a cat person, you might know this. Um, how many are dog people? Very disappointed actually that like we're not seeing more enthusiasm. It's like I thought I'd see jumping up and down and there'd be uh, enthusiasm. Any horse people? Okay, so some enthusiasm there. I'm, there's a girl in our church who's been begging her father for many years to get a, do a, a horse, and I think, I think they're on the verge. Um, how many of you, the whole idea of, of having an animal as a pet is just ridiculous? Anybody that's just like, no, thank you? Yeah. I saw a few mothers put up their hands, and they're like, yeah, as if I want another one in the fold. Uh, how many of you love animals more than you love people? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? Okay, this sermon's for you. <laughs> we need to remember that, that uh, as awesome and wonderful as, as animals are and the animal kingdom are, is that human beings are set apart from the animal kingdom in a very important way. Do you know how they're set apart? We have a spirit. We're made in God's image. We're the only creatures in all of, of God's kingdom and all of our world that are made in God's image. We're meant to reflect God in some fundamental core ways. Uh, we have a spirit, we have a soul. We're made to look like God. And, and we're crafted, we're fashioned, actually, to, to look like our maker, to find our needs met by our maker. We're fashioned to find our fullness from God. Um, it was Augustine who, who famously said many, many years ago, he said, God, you have, have made us for, ourself, for, for yourself, I should say, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Pretty fundamental truth to the Christian faith. Here's the age-old problem. Uh, is because of the fall, because of this baggage of sin that we drag around with us because of our brokenness, uh, we often ignore that need to connect with the living God, that that was who we were made for, or we find ourselves going to other sources, other imitations, trying to meet it there. We think, I'm not going to go to God, but I'm going to go here thinking that that will do it. And so we have passages in Isaiah 55, which, which Lincoln unpacked for us last Sunday, where, where there's this beautiful invitation and, and challenge that God gives where he says, come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Right there we have the, the greatest good news, is that we can come to God and have our deepest longings met. We can come to God and, and that, that itch that just won't go away, that we try to fill, that need we have, that we try to fill with all these other things, we can come to God. Our restlessness is addressed by God's very life and presence. But again, I'm so challenged by that middle line in that scripture, verse 2, where it says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And I'm disturbed by that because... While God promises rest and fullness and hungers met and, and thirsts quenched, we go off spending ourselves trying to find our happiness and our hope in other things, things that stubbornly 
refuse to satisfy what we're looking for. We do this, don't we? Often we uh, try to fill that gap, that hole, that need with uh, other things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. All the stuff that wants to find you is now at Value Village. <laughs> love it. Advertisers are selling that dream all the time. Buy this, eat this, do this, and you will be happy. That's the inherent message of every commercial you've seen, even Olympic commercials, right? Buy these shoes. I, I bought into that lie earlier in the year, and I'd be fit. I'd be physically fit. It has not helped me one bit. Turns out you have to run in the shoes to actually, you know. <laughs> it could be any number of things that we try to fill that hole with. It could be uh, comfort. It could be our career, developing our career. It could be education. It could be financial or, or job security. It could be a hobby that we have. It could be a habit that we have, an addiction. It could, it could be a relationship simply looking for someone else to fill the void. This, this really could have been the story of the woman at the well. I mean, here she'd been in a series of relationships looking for someone to meet that deep ache of her soul. And, and sometimes we think that if only I have that friend, or if only I get married, or if only I, I, I get a new spouse who is less flawed than my current spouse that, that could, be, could better meet my needs, I'd be happy. By the way, I've had to learn the, the hard way over the course of my marriage that, that the Lord God Almighty is the source of my joy, not my wife. And actually, the, the more I learn to love God and put him first, the easier I find loving her is. Turns out I, need to, I can only love my wife fully when I love God more than her. And, and, and so it's a good question to ask ourselves this morning. I want to ask you this this morning. What might be getting in the way of, of, of experiencing God meeting that core need in my heart and life? What might it be? And, and maybe you could think of it figuratively this morning. What's in your jar? You know, what are you, what are you looking for? What are you carrying that's getting in the way of, of you being filled with the soul-satisfying living water of Jesus? To help us think about this, I'm going to read a prayer written by Miriam, or pardon me, Macrina Wedeker. And uh, this prayer was impactful to me earlier this summer and inspired this, this message today. I was on a prayer retreat and, and heard this prayer read, and, and God spoke to me in some profound ways, and uh, I wanted to bring it back and, and share it with you. But it's, a, it's called the Prayer of the Empty Water Jar, and it's actually inspired from this one verse that we looked at this morning. And, and we're going to pray through it a couple of times, and uh, I want you to use this opportunity. I believe it's a holy time when we gather together on Sunday morning. It's time that we set apart to meet with God. But when we stop and listen and reflect and look to our maker, God is just waiting for an opportunity to, to speak to us. And so we've got space this morning to do that. We're just going to take a, a very few minutes. I'm going to read this prayer, and I wonder if there might be something in your life that God wants to graciously and compassionately and delicately put his finger on in your life this morning like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. And, and not so that you will feel condemned, not so that you will feel guilty, <laughs> but so that you can be free of it and that you can find him as your true source in life and goal. So what, would you... Let's, uh, why don't you close your eyes and, and bow your heads. This will be a prayer. And again, like I said, I'll read it through twice. 
the opportunity for you to reflect after. Jesus, I come to the warmth of your presence knowing that you are the very emptiness of God. I come before you holding the the water jar of my life. Your eyes meet mine, and I know what I'd rather not know. I came to be filled, but I'm already full. I am too full. This is my sickness. I'm full of things that crowd out your healing presence. A holy knowing, a holy knowing steals inside my heart, and I see the painful truth. I don't need more. I need less. I am too full. I am full of things that block out your golden grace. I'm smothered by gods of my own creation. I am lost in the forest of my false self. I am full of my own opinions and narrow attitudes, full of fear, resentment, control, full of self-pity and arrogance. Slowly, this terrible truth pierces my heart. I am so full There is no room for you. Thoughtfully and with compassion, you ask me to reach into my water jar. One by one, Jesus, you enable me to lift out the things that are a hindrance to my wholeness. I take each to my heart. I hear you asking me, why is this so important to you? Like the murmur of a gentle stream, I hear you calling, let go, let go, let go. I pray with each obstacle, tasting the bitterness and grief it has caused. Finally, I sit with my empty water jar. I hear you whisper, you have become a space for God Now there is hope. Now you are ready to be a channel of life. You have given up your own agenda. There is nothing left but God. As 